Well, grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible begins with a wedding, and the Bible ends with a wedding. The Bible begins in Genesis with a perfect wedding, a wedding between Father, God the Creator, and His people. A perfect wedding, a perfect relationship between God and His people. The Bible ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding. Revelation 21 describes this beautiful, eternal wedding between the groom, Jesus, and his bride adorned beautifully for her, his church, his Christian people, to be wed together perfectly for all of eternity. The Bible begins with a wedding between God and his people. It ends with a wedding between God and his people And all throughout the scriptures, marriage is used as an image for this relationship between God and his people. Marriage is a good word in the Bible to describe God's relationship to us. We've been preaching through this sermon series we're calling Good Words. Good words are these Bible images, metaphors, scriptural words that, that, that depicts the vastness of God's love for us in a myriad of ways. And so each week we're taking a look at one of these different ways. And today's good word is marriage, because marriage is a good word. We're going to be looking at marriage today in two different dimensions. A marriage between God and his people, and then marriage between husband and wife. Because the Bible has a lot to say about both of those kinds of marriage. But first of all, the marriage between God and his people. The Bible uses this metaphor a lot. I told you the Bible begins and ends with the metaphor of a marriage between God and his people. In the Old Testament, God made a vow to his people. He made a vow to them. Sometimes we call it a covenant, but a covenant is another word for vow, like a marriage vow. And God said to his people, I will be God and you will be my people. This is an everlasting covenant I'm making with you. The people of God even responded with a vow of their own. And they said to God, we will be your people And we will live according to your ways and according to your commandments. If you know anything about the Old Testament or about the nature of humanity, you know that this vow that the people made to God did not last very long. The people said, God, we will only have you as our God. God said to them, be mine. Don't worship other gods. But the people couldn't resist. They turned to all of the foreign gods, most often a god called Baal. And they worshipped that god. They sacrificed to that foreign god. They gave their prayers and their gifts to that god. And we're no different. 
We may not worship a God named Baal, but we manufacture all kinds of gods of our own, offering sacrifices, prayers even, to the gods of prosperity and pride and popularity and possessions. Laying down what we want in front of these things, saying, fill us, satisfy us, please. This was the story all throughout the Old Testament. God remained faithful to his vow, and the people did not remain faithful to theirs. So God often sent to his people prophets. And prophets were sent to the people of God with a word of God, to speak to them and remind them of this vow, this marriage, reminding them, you belong to God. God is real. He is yours. And you are his. You made a vow to him. Do you not remember? One of these prophets was a prophet named Hosea. And Hosea was given God's word to proclaim to the people of Israel, to remind them of their vow. But Hosea, he was unique, and he had, a, he had a unique calling from God, actually. God said to Hosea, Hosea, not only do I want you to speak God's word to them, reminding them of this marriage contract, but I actually want you to live it out. So God said to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to take a wife who is a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. A woman living in adultery, a woman seeking satisfaction from a myriad of places. I want you, Hosea, to go and wed yourself to her as an example of my marriage to you and my faithless people. So Hosea did it. He married Gomer. And Hosea and Gomer had some children together. One of the children, God said, I want you to name that child not my people. To another child, to a daughter, he said, I want you to name this daughter no mercy, or sometimes translated as unloved. That sounds pretty brutal. Sounds like a hard word from God. And yet that's what Hosea did. He married this adulterous prostitute. He named his children, not my people, and he named my ch his children, no mercy. But we don't have to wait long in the book of Hosea to be filled with hope. And to, to see the promise being changed from, a, a, from a, a promise of judgment to a promise of redemption. We read in Hosea 2, that God gives a word of hope to Hosea and to the people. Because our key verse today is this, Hosea 2.19. God says, I will betroth you, another word for Mary, I will marry you forever. I will betroth you to me forever. Even though you are adulterous, even though you are faithless, I will never leave you. God even instructs Hosea to go and pay off all of Gomer's debts, to bring Gomer back, to forgive her and restore her. And he even says to those who are named not my people, 
they will be called my people. To those who were named no mercy, they will receive my mercy. And the book of Hosea goes on to be filled with hope that one day, one person from the lineage of David would come and one day redeem and restore and heal this broken relationship between God and his people. And we know that one's name is Jesus. Jesus who came into this world to welcome us back to the Father, to betroth us to himself. Look at these words. These are actually beautiful words from Hosea. Words of hope. I betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is God saying this to his people, and this is Hosea saying this to Gomer. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you in steadfast love and mercy and righteousness. You are mine forever. God sent his son Jesus to embody these words for us, to purchase and win us back. He has betrothed himself to us forever. Laying down his life for us, he loves us. And he simply asks us in return, will you love me? Will you honor me? Will you live according to my word? Why would we not? Why would we not want to? Jesus gives us everything. And yet we're still not satisfied. Still pursuing, still wanting a little taste of something else just to see what it's like. But Jesus will never leave you, never betray you, always betroth you to himself forever. And one day, when Christ returns, that perfect wedding that the Bible ends with in Revelation 21 will be our reality forever. We will be the bride beautifully adorned and dressed for her groom who will wed himself to us forever and ever. Marriage is a good word. Marriage is a good word to describe the kind of relationship that God has with us sinful people. And marriage is also a good word that we get to experience in this life between husband and wife. And what is the role of marriage between husband and wife? Does it have anything to do with this dynamic we just established that God has with us as people? Oh yeah, it does. God has big plans for Christian marriages. Those of you who are married, God has big plans for what your marriage can be. Today, my goal is to paint a beautiful picture to you of what God has established and intended for marriage to be in this life. But let's be real for a minute. We live in a broken world, a world that is stained and soiled with sin, and all of the good gifts of God are tarnished by that sin. And marriage is no different. For many of you, maybe marriage has not been a good word. Maybe marriage has not been a good word in your family of origin as you reflect on your parents' marriage. 
Or maybe your reality in this life so far has been that maybe marriage has not, not been all that good. And we need to acknowledge that. But I want you to know this reality. Marriage is intended to be good by God. But what happens to the good gifts of God is that Satan infiltrates them and breaks them, and we as sinners infiltrate them and break them too. It's the same with all of the good words that we're looking at in this series. Last week we looked at adoption. Adoption is good. It's a good word. But a lot of times people's adoption experience in this life Uh, Maybe not so good. We looked at the good word of property, that we're God's property. But a lot of times the way that we manage property and try to possess it isn't all that good. And we understand that. The same goes for marriage. Marriage is to be a good gift from God. And I want you to know that there is hope for marriage to be as God intended it to be. And I want to paint this picture for you today. Marriage in God's design between a husband and wife is to be the place where a man and a woman get to put into practice and experience most fully the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There is no other relationship in this world except for the husband and wife in its most intimate details on a regular basis where a husband and a wife get to love as they've been loved by Jesus and forgive as they've been forgiven by Jesus, mutually giving and receiving. We heard read for us today from Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us that a marriage between a husband and wife is to mirror the kind of relationship that God has with us sinful people. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Men, that is a high calling. To be like Jesus, willingly sacrificing yourself and agenda for the sake of your bride. And it also says then to women, to the wives, wives, submit, respect, honor your husbands as the church does so to Christ. And this is not out of fear. This is not out of of an abusive relationship. God is not a dictator or an authoritarian, and neither should your husband be to you. And so if both things are working mutually, giving and receiving the love and forgiveness of Jesus, we will love and we will respect and we will honor one one another as Christ intended. It is a beautiful thing for a husband and wife to put this into practice. It is a gift for a man and a woman to experience. But Christian marriage is also intended to be a gift to the world. That when other people see a husband and wife loving and forgiving and peaceably coming back together for a a purpose, a united purpose, that the world will look at that relationship and say, That's a different kind of love. (laughs) What is that love? And that marriage can say it's the love of Jesus that is the center of our relationship. Marriage is this incredible gift from God. 
where God in his infinite wisdom and I think sometimes in his infinite humor brings together two people who may seem like opposing opposites and he fits them together nicely. (laughs) I mean, just think about it. God brings together a man and a woman who are, let's just be real, very different simply because they're a man and a woman. But then in that relationship, there are other differences, are there not? If you're married, consider your own marriage, and if you're not married, consider a a marriage that you know. In that relationship, most likely there are uniquenesses between husband and wife, right? Likely one spouse is a bit more talkative and outgoing, and the other one is more reserved and quiet. In a marriage, typically, one person is more timely and scheduled, and the other one may not know that clocks and watches and calendars exist. (laughs) Uh, One is typically more tidy, and the other, the opposite of tidy. (laughs) One typically tells hilarious dad jokes, and the other tells what, mom jokes? That's not even a thing, right? So you, you get the gist. There are these differences between a husband and a wife. And what God does in his divine wisdom and humor is he fits us together in order to make us more than we can be on our own. To make us more than we can be on our own. I think about marriage like two gears of a machine, if you have one gear by itself, it's a gear, I guess. I don't, I don't know what it, you can maybe turn it into a wheel or something. But as soon as you get this other gear and you fit them together, now you've got something that can happen. You've got some movement that can occur. These teeth of the gear are like those uniquenesses between man and woman. The uniquenesses between personalities that God fits together to make us more than we can be on our own. But again, what does the devil want to do with good gifts? Pull them apart. And if not completely separating them, at least to get those gears to like slip and grind on one another. And those of you who are married know what this is like when you look at the uniqueness of the other person and you say, why can't they just be more like me? It would be better if they would just be more like me, right? And the gears grind and they slip. The thing that keeps this machine running, the only thing, the lubricant, the oil of this machine is the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and him alone. Each spouse receiving from Jesus, each spouse giving to one another, not on their own, but only as Jesus can give. It is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a good word. Marriage is a good word. It describes the kind of love that God has for us sinners. And marriage is a good word to describe the kind of relationship between a husband and a wife. If you haven't picked up on it yet, at Saints Peter and Paul, we have a very high view of marriage. We think that marriage is a beautiful thing from God, a high ideal to strive for. And for that reason, any wedding that we conduct here at Saints Peter and Paul, whether it's Pastor Kevin or myself, we walk with couples for months in advance, working through an assessment called SIMBIS. 
SIMBIS is an assessment, it's, it's an acronym, it stands for Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And it's a powerful um, assessment that gets at the heart of who these people are as individuals, their expectations, their conflict styles, how they handle money and spirituality and all kinds of issues, and it provides a great conduit. And I've worked with dozens of couples using this over, um, over many years now, and I tell you what, people have actually told me that it's fun. They've said it's fun. And that's not me. I am fun, but it's not me. It's because they've made intentional work to put into their marriage, and they found beauty and depth in that. For those of you that are married already, the people who put together this pre-marriage assessment also have one for married couples. Uh, It's called Better Love. Better love. And I'm a huge proponent of this and of couples taking intentional time to focus on their relationship. And so you can learn about better love at this website, betterlove.com. But more than that, do I have a deal for you? We have already paid for 50 married couples to take this assessment for free. Okay? And I can't necessarily mandate this to you, but if I were to mandate it to you, I'm mandating it to you. Married couples, take this assessment. Okay, over sometime in the next two weeks, let me know that you did it. Here's, here's what you need to do to get access to it, though. Send me an email. My email is pastorgerke at copperluth.org. If you're married, send me an email and say we'd like to take the assessment I will respond to you with instructions and a code that you can enter online uh, in in order to do this for free. I highly encourage it because there may be a variety of things that you as couples have been putting on the back burner. You haven't been taking the time to have some of those conversations. You remember what it was like when you were first dating and you talked about everything all the time and you fell in love? This is an opportunity to re-engage at that level. I highly encourage you to do it. More so than that, if you're not married, we have other resources for you on our website, copperluth.org resources. We have some resources. If you are a parent and you have some youth and you want to teach them about the biblical concept of marriage and human sexuality, you can click on this tab where it says for teaching youth. If you are not married, but you want to be married someday, or you're kind of, you're, you're single right now and wondering what place singleness has in this life, There's a book for you, and then we have further marriage resources on that last tab where it says for married couples. I highly encourage you to do some good work and not take for granted the wonderful gift God has given to you in your spouse. All right, let me say it one last time. Marriage is a good word. Marriage is a good word to describe God's relationship to us. He is faithful. We are faithless. He loves, we betray. He is consistent, we are chaotic. It is this kind of relationship, but he has betrothed himself to us forever. And one day, we will be that beautiful bride, and the groom will come and wed himself to us forever. In the meantime, may you be encouraged that your God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always welcome you back as his beloved bride. Be there, be present, allow him to welcome you back. And then in our Christian marriages, or in whatever relationships we have where we get to live out this marriage concept, may we love like Jesus. 
And may we honor and respect one another as the church does to Christ. And may your marriages be blessed now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.